I think about what a lost art that is in our day and age to really listen well, to give full attention and presence to someone else in the room. And I feel like this is an area where we can recapture that art of listening and dialoguing um, and giving honor to hearing what someone else has to say. You are listening to The Dwellings Podcast. On this podcast, we will share stories that will inspire you on your journey with Jesus and help you cultivate kingdom community right where you are. This is Season 2, Future Shifts for the Church. Well, this is an exciting day because I have one of my very best friends on the Dwellings Podcast with me today. This is Sarah Wood, and I'm so excited for you to meet her because she's got a really interesting mix of gifts that I've often admired, but she also has a really good mix of history, both in the church where she grew up as a pastor's kid, but also has led a lot in ministry and also experience in education. Sarah's always been a learner, and so she spent uh, some of her career in helping people with learning differences, studying how people learn best, and it's been really helpful now that we're working together because I feel like Sarah and I being uh, lifelong, very good friends, she knows how I learn best, and she's been a really good partner to work with, but we're excited to have you here, Sarah. Sarah's our content developer, and she writes almost everything that we put out as a ministry. Um, so you've probably heard from her, but we are really excited to have you all hear from her here on the podcast today. Thanks, Catherine. I'm really glad to be here. This is this is really fun and it's special to work with you. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I can't wait. So today we're talking about a shift from monologue to dialogue when it comes to our discipleship. So much of our discipleship in the West has been kind of focused around a stage or focused around one speaker or a sermon. Those have been staples of how we operate in the church in our day. But over the last number of years, we've been drawn to a learning style that incorporates dialogue or conversation. So we're having these conversations on the phone all the time, and I wanted to just invite everyone in. Tell us, what is conversational learning? And what could this look like in a community? Yeah, well, um, in a nutshell, conversational learning is a style of learning that uses dialogue and discussion. And it uses that as opposed to just passive information intake from a monologue. So it's a way of learning through um, a group of people, both listening to one another and then articulating their own thoughts or reflections. And it's interesting because this format for learning is actually more effective for memory retention than listening to just a lecture. So you asked how, what does this look like or how can this look in a community setting? And this is, this is one of the things that's been fun for us. Um, in our house church community, we've been practicing some of this learning through dialogue. And um, one of the ways we've been doing it is by using a scripture reading guide that we've actually, um, it's a resource we've, we've created. It's on our website, but it's so basic and simple. Um, it involves five steps. What we do is we sit around the, the room in as much of a circle as we possibly can so that everyone's kind of seated to be able to look at one another. Um, and 
the very first step is simply to say, Holy Spirit, please guide us today. We want to be stewards of listening to your voice as we look at scripture. And then there will be a select passage of scripture that um, we've already decided that we're going to be reading together as a community. And so the second step is just to literally read the passage aloud, whatever it is. Um, most recently, we finished the book of James. So we read one chapter of James each time we sat down together, each once a week. And we would read a verse or two at a time. So the whole room is involved. Everyone is reading around the circle. And, and then the third step, which is probably my most <laughs> favorite step, is that we take about five to eight minutes of just silent reflection time. So everybody still has God's word, you know, in front of them. They're looking at it. They're thinking about it. They're re-looking at it, but it's quiet. It's a reflection or a meditation time on the same passage that was just read aloud. And we're taking time to look at it and ask, you know, Lord, is there a certain passage or is there a certain phrase or is there a certain word that stands out before we begin to discuss this? What are you trying to teach and show me um, uh, through scripture? And so the fourth step is to discuss it as a group. And it's the very simple question of what stood out to you in the scripture? What is God's word? What is what is the word saying here? And so people um, in no certain order will throw out, this is what I thought. This is what it makes me think. I, I see this in this text. I feel like God's word here is saying this. And we listen to one another and then build off of one another. And, um, and you know, what we found is that this style is helpful in that it promotes, there's not really just one expert in the room. We're actually learning from one another. Um, we may listen to someone and then say, well, that's interesting. I kind of thought of it this way and have a little different take on it. Mm -hmm. um, we let the sermon be, um, the, ser the, the sermon is the scripture and our reflection on it and dialogue on it is the learning part based on that scripture. Um, so one, one other thing that, you know, we've found that I think is, is, um, is unique is that just the simple practice of reading scripture out loud as a group, hearing it read by different voices is a beautiful thing. And there's a bonding nature in that as a community. Um, we've been surprised even by the richness and the discussion that comes after the most simple reading of scripture. There's no other intake of content. It's just it's just the word, and so and and we're taking it in kind of on two levels. We're taking it in personally, you know, with with a time of meditation, and then we're di digesting it communally as well. So we find that that with this process, we're getting more out of um, out of scripture through dialogue than when we even read it on our own. Although that's an important discipline to have as well. There's something about yeah. dialogue that makes us remember and recall. Um, and I think I just want to say that what I appreciate so much about learning through dialogue is that there's, there's dual emphasis in this practice. There's the emphasis on listening well to others in the yeah. circle. And then there's an emphasis on articulating what your thoughts are. But particularly on that first emphasis, listening well, I think about what a lost art that is in our day and age to really listen well, to give full attention and presence to someone else in the room. 
And I feel like this is an area where we can recapture that art of listening and dialoguing um, and giving honor to hearing what someone else has to say. Absolutely. And it's just been so fun to have these conversations and grow in these ways together. And it's been cool to see how your background in education and what you are learning there actually has helped inform some of these practices. I will say also that a lot, uh, a large part of the inspiration for our scripture reading guide that Sarah was referring to comes from some of the practices in the global South, uh, some of the areas of the church uh, that are growing the very fastest, which would be Iran, uh, South Korea. China, they do this sort of dialogue conversation type learning, but also we've seen those trends in education. And so my question for you next is, how could what we're learning in education inform the way that we're discipling people in the church? Yeah, I think this is a great question because um, education, the institution of education, is really actually ahead of the church in using dialogue as an effective means of learning. Um, we can look back through history and see, you know, the example of Socrates. He had this figured out a long time ago. The Socratic method was a method of education where a teacher would ask students questions and ask the students to respond. And that engagement was the catalyst to learning. Mm -hmm. But in more recent years, schools have started catching on and using dialogue more as uh, a means for learning. And I, you know, I worked at Little Rock Christian Academy here. This is a school here in Little Rock, and they use a method called the Harkness Method really well. And the Harkness Method is getting the students to gather around a circular or oval table and um, have a conversation across the table based on a text that they've read. So they're practicing this art of listening to one another, conversing, articulating. And, you know, science has shown that memory retention is greater when a person has dialogued about something that they're learning than when they have only passively intake, intaken the bit of knowledge or information. So there's a power in this verbalization process that it, it's a more effective way to learn and retain knowledge than passive listening. So I saw that happening um, at the school. I know that's happening in colleges and universities. There's something here with when people are involved in dialogue, they walk away changed more than when they're just listening to someone speak. So to me, it's, it seems like the question is, if that's true, if that's actually how we retain our knowledge, how we grow and change as people and as learners, then it seems important to ask the question, well, how can we use this method of dialogue to best serve the church in making disciples as well. And, you know, we've talked about this, Catherine, before, but there's the learning pyramid is a very interesting um, diagram to look at because the very top of that pyramid, it says five to 10% is retained from listening to a lecture. So people retain memory, five to 10% of the information is retained from a lecture. Yeah. But that, that uh, percentage goes up to 50 to 75% of memory is retained when those students have been involved in dialogue. And that's a pretty astounding, you know, statistic. When you think about discipleship in the church, it, it seems like 
the same would be true. We could either just listen and never dialogue about it and have some memory retention, or we could listen and dialogue and discuss and walk away potentially changed as disciples of, of Christ together. Yeah, I, I found that to be true too, because for most of my ministry experience, this dialogue would have been contained to the small, like a small group situation. Right now, we're kind of pushing this into our actual, you know, f- more formal Sunday gathering. But, mm-hmm. but I do always remember saying to myself, in order to hold my own self back from talking the whole time in a group, say that I was leading, people remember what they say more than what they hear. That's kind of what you're saying with the learning pyramid. But very, very simply, if I say something and can articulate it and bounce it off of you, for instance, I'll probably remember it more than if you spoke the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that that's great. And you know, I, I think if if you're listening and you hear, okay, we're just kind of following educational trends. We're just following some trends that we see. We're following some science that might not feel super grounded. Like, but wait, isn't the sermon, isn't, isn't that a staple that we have to, you know, incorporate in order for, you know, church to count, uh, for discipleship to count. And, And so is there any biblical grounding for this? That might be a question that people have. And we've had that question. We've had to go back and say, gosh, are we just um, getting too creative or is there some biblical grounding? So go into that a little bit. What examples in scripture do we see of this type of learning through dialogue? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question and it's a good tension to discuss and and to be aware of. Um, So when, when we look back to the example of Jesus, for instance, when we look in the Gospels and we see how he interacted with people, I mean, he's who we're wanting to learn from and model our lives after. When we look at him, we find that he was always inviting people into dialogue. And it was his way of teaching people. And it was his way of discipleship. It happened over and over and over. He would he would ask questions of people. He would engage them. So I think about when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, um, the first thing he did was he asked her a question. He said, will you give me a drink of water? Mm-hmm. Um, he invited dialogue. Otherwise, nothing would have ever happened um, with with the presence of that woman and Jesus at that well, but he initiated a dialogue. He wanted to have her Mm -hmm. begin a conversation with him. And that conversation ended up transforming her life. And then you think about Jesus encountering the blind man, Bartimaeus. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing he says to Bartimaeus is, do you want to get well? Well, Jesus didn't have to ask that question. You know, he knew, um, but he was inviting Bartimaeus into dialogue. It's, it's like it's his way of teaching, is asking questions and dialoguing first. And then I, I think about one of my all-time favorite examples of Jesus using dialogue to help people learn is when he meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's right after Jesus's crucifixion. So he appears to these two men No, we don't know if they're both men. He appears to two disciples, and he doesn't tell them who he is. So they don't know it's Jesus, but he can tell that something's wrong with them. They've just experienced um, Jesus having been crucified, and they're sad. So 
when you read the story, you see Jesus appears to them and he walks the seven mile road long with them to their home. So this is a long conversation. And he basically asks them questions. His first one is, well, why are you sad? What's going on? What things are you talking about? What's been going on? Now, he knew the answers to all of those, but he still wanted to engage them in a dialogue. It's like he knew they needed to process something verbally in order for their hearts to um, to be changed once they were able to see who they were actually talking to. But they weren't there yet, and he was respecting their journey, their learning yeah. journey. He wasn't rushing to say, hey, guys, I'm Jesus. I've actually risen from the dead. You don't have anything to worry about. He could have. Yeah. But he didn't. And so I just think, you know, when we look at Jesus and we go, well, gosh, if that's how he, you know, over and over in the Gospels, that's how he engaged people um, as a way of deeper learning and transformation, it gives us cues. You know, maybe we can do this, too. But not only with Jesus, but all, there are other places in the New Testament where we see Paul writing to the churches, um, and, and there's an emphasis on this co-learning process going on. Um, in Colossians 3.16, for instance, he, Paul says to the church in Col Colossae, let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So there's this there's this idea like we're we're talking and and helping and admonishing one another, yeah. Um, and then in First Corinthians twelve seven, Paul says, "Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good." And you know we've spent a lot of time talking about this this passage and this idea that you know, we all have spiritual gifts and we all need one another. So we actually are not okay just being alone on this spiritual journey. We need to dialogue, right. we need to discuss, we need each other's spiritual gifts. We're in interdependent on one another. We hope that you're enjoying this episode so far. If you're finding this conversation helpful, we want you to know that we have a dedicated app full of resources and opportunities to connect with people around the world who want to see God's kingdom expand right where they are. It's through the generosity of people just like you that we're able to offer everything for free. If you would like to begin partnering with us through a one-time gift or a recurring gift, you can do so at dwellings.info give or simply click the link in the podcast show notes. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. Well, these examples are fascinating because there is this fear when you open up the conversation beyond like a prepared monologue, it feels a bit out of our control and it feels like, oh, if, if we really care about truth, if we really care about teaching, if we really care about learning, it has to happen in that mode. But as they're talking, I'm just processing like Jesus is truth. Like he knows everything. He would have every reason to walk around just speaking. He knew better than anyone else, but also he knows how humans work. He, you know, his, his father made us all. And so he has the knowledge that for us to learn best and for us to actually experience the truth in full measure, this is, this is the way that he chose to do it. It's just fascinating. It's fascinating. Me. I agree. But 
also, we've looked back at church history and, and realized that other people have, of course, come to this conclusion over and over. We're not the first ones uh, playing with these concepts, but you see both in small gatherings, house churches, smaller communities, uh, missional communities, people learning through dialogue. We've also seen in some of the larger, more traditional church settings uh, lately and over time that people have experimented with this for exactly the same reasons. So we mentioned earlier the Global South, the church movements that are rapidly multiplying, uh, usually in homes or coffee shops or offices. The five steps that we're talking about where you read and you meditate and you talk about uh, what the spirit showing in the passage, that's largely what they're doing in those mm-hmm. movements. Right. They are um, gathering over dialogue and conversation. Also, though, um, in some of the denominations in the past, uh, we've we've read about the Anabaptists and the Quakers, and they're known for their emphasis on dialogue. You see in the Anabaptist traditions that communal decision making often involved group group dialogue. You see with Quaker meetings that they would have silent silent worship where everyone could speak as they felt led by the Spirit, and, and they would foster a dialogue, and that was their way of learning. And so we've seen that in the past. Also, some of the churches that we've been able to visit over the last year, we've just seen in small ways they're moving from let's say 45 minutes of monologue to a 30 minute sermon within a question that appears on the screen that invites people to group up in small circles and have discussion for 10 minutes. Uh, We've been to HTB over in London and we've realized, okay, they're making the sermon more like 15 minutes so that there's time for prayer and interaction after the service. It feels like you can't do this in a big church, but we're seeing more and more people are realizing you can, even if it's just a really small adjustment to the sermon time and an invitation for conversation or practice at the end. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it made me think too about our visit to New York City when we got to go see, we got to attend church on a Sunday morning at Church of the City. And um, we got to witness that there. And uh, that's a growing, thriving church. Um, we enjoyed the sermon. And at the very end of the service, there was there were probably about 20 minutes dedicated to a lingering time of interactive prayer where people could stand up where they were. They could walk to the aisle. They could meet with a prayer volunteer and they could have a a brief dialogue with that person and then pray with that person. And so it was a beautiful example of exactly what we're talking about, where, um, you know, you're combining learning by listening with learning by um, actively responding. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of neat, neat places are starting to incorporate this more and more. Absolutely. Well, Lots of good information here. Just as we close, as a synopsis, no matter what form of church we're in, no matter what role we play, give us one final reason why you feel like it's worth it for us to make this push into a dialogue way of learning. Well, I love this question, and I, you know, I just have to answer it by by starting by saying humans remember best through relational connection. 
through dialogue. Um, it's how God made us. Uh, it's, it's been proven by science now. Science shows us that two-way communication literally increases the brain response and the neural firings in our brain. It literally lights up and grows, up, grows new neural pathways. So when I think about that and I think about, okay, when we're looking at discipleship and we're really wanting to be transformed people and we're wanting to find ways to become more transformed into the likeness of Christ, then we need to be using a way, a means that creates those kind of new brain neural pathways. Yeah. And if that's dialogue, if dialogue does that, dialoguing around scripture, dialoguing through learning, um, then I think, I think this is something for us to pay attention to. I think also it gives everyone in the room a, a greater chance for participation. We don't want to overlook, you know, someone in the room or someone in the circle. They all have value. We want mm -hmm. to invite and listen um, to each person. We don't want to inadvertently devalue um, someone in the church by only listening to someone else. So, you know, I, we think about if this is one of the most important messages of our life, um, the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, and we really want to be transformed ourselves and help bring about God's transformation to others, then bringing dialogue into the learning process is a compelling thing to pay attention to. Love that so much. And we've had a lot of conversations saying there's really not one right way with our forms. So we love the sermon. We feel like there's room for even longer sermons than we typically hear. Uh, but this is just a new way maybe of looking at learning that could open up some possibilities with your communities wherever you are. So I love your last point. Like this is the most vital message of our life, like the good news of Jesus. So no matter what form we want to deliver that in, we definitely want to pair the most important message of our life with the most effective means of taking that message in. So this is an important conversation. It was so fun to have it with you. And for everyone listening, the scripture guide that we mentioned, you can download for free in our app, the Dwellings app, or on the Dwellings website. You'll find those links in your show notes. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us. It's been really fun. It's been so fun. Thanks for having me.